off and the clock has started. Here we go. Hi everyone, my name is Addison and you're listening to episode 112 of 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. And on a side note, Doug wanted me to pass along this note to you. He apologizes that you're never getting them back. (laughs) Sorry. Thank you, Addison. Hey, yes, this is 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. My name uh, this week is Doug Prezak. It's a lot like it was last week. And welcome to episode 112. Holy crankies, that's a long time. (laughs) I'm adding a a new element to these 20 minutes. (laughs) You're probably saying, oh, yay. (laughs) It's called WWDD. What would Doug do? (laughs) Every once in a while, I think about something and I ask myself, what would I do? (laughs) Well, so as a public service, from time to time, I'm going to share with you what I was thinking and then what I would do. That way, if you find yourself in a similar situation, uh, at least you'll know what, what I would do. So, you know, and feel free to do the same thing. So here it is, WWDD. <laughs> I was driving by a uh, pasture the other day, you know, nice and green. Cow was standing out in the middle of it. And I wondered, what would I do if I found myself in that pasture and I was confronted by an angry cow? I decided I would pretend I'm a fence because <laughs> cows seem to respect fences. Yeah, that's what I do. I can't wait to see what my executive producer says about that bit. <laughs> All right, <laughs> let's see. Last episode, I was uh, pissing and moaning about the fact that I don't get an email from any of you listeners. And I'm afraid to ask Graham, <laughs> Graham what this week brings. So uh, dare I face uh, a rejection once again? Uh, Graham, go ahead and give me the news. Well, we have some great news. There are two emails, one from Shauna and one from Damien. Shauna hopes 2023 has been good so far. She also wishes your executive producer a happy birthday. Well, that was nice of her. This is the email from Damien. He says, I just listened to episode 111 and your chocolate story reminded me of this. Paddy was a distillery worker from Dublin. He drowned last week in a vat of whiskey. Some of his workmates tried to save him but he fought them off bravely. They cremated him and it took three days to put out the fire. (laughs) We don't write them, folks. We just read them. (laughs) I also noticed in the uh, email he said, quote, perhaps consider dedicating an episode to St. Patrick's Day. I'd do the research myself, but well, you know. (laughs) That's right, Damien. (laughs) You and everybody else probably has way better things to do. So thanks for leaving the research to me. I guess we should uh, start here. St. Patrick's Day, or uh, March 17th, as you probably know it, is coming up in a couple of weeks. But, you know, who was this St. Patrick guy? Well, St. Patrick was born in Britain around 400 A.D. Uh, It could be Scotland. You know, accounts vary, but uh, we'll say in the English Empire. And he was born into a wealthy Romano-British family. His father was a deacon and his grandfather was a priest in the Christian church. Now, much of what we know about St. Patrick comes from the Declaration, which was allegedly written by Patrick himself. According to his writings, when he was 16, a group of Irish raiders attacked his father's estate and he was kidnapped and taken as a slave to Ireland, which at that time was a land of uh, paganism and druidism. Patrick spent uh, six years as a slave working as a shepherd, very much isolated from other people. And during this time, he not only became fluid in the Irish language Gaelic, 
but he turned to religion and became a devout Christian. According to Patrick's writings, after six years, he heard a voice telling him it was time to escape. <laughs> you think so after six years? So he traveled south for 200 miles until he reached the Irish coast where he boarded a ship back to Britain. He studied under St. Germain, who was the Bishop of Auxerre in France to help combat paganism. He was ordained as a priest and given the name Patricius from the Latin meaning father of his people. St. Patrick then traveled back to Ireland to teach Christianity to the Irish. The declaration says that he spent many years evangelizing in the northern half of Ireland and he converted thousands. Patrick's efforts were eventually turned into a story in which he drove the snakes out of Ireland, despite the fact that snakes were not known to inhabit the region. <laughs> Tradition says that he died on March 17th, 460 AD, and was buried at Downpatrick. Over the following centuries, many legends grew up around Patrick, and he became Ireland's foremost saint. Ironically, St. Patrick was never canonized by a pope, which makes his saintly status somewhat uh, questionable. Okay, settle everybody. So when was the first St. Patrick's Day celebrated? Well, it's another classic case of the we say, they say situation. But we do know this. Since around the 9th or 10th century, people in Ireland have been observing the Roman Catholic feast day of St. Patrick on March 17th. Now, one story says that the first St. Patrick's Day parade took place not in Ireland, but in America. Records show that a St. Patrick's Day parade was held on March 17, 1601, in a Spanish colony in what is now St. Augustine, Florida. The parade and a St. Patrick's Day celebration a year earlier were organized by the Spanish colony's Irish vicar, Ricardo Artur. A different account says that St. Patrick's Day parades began in North America in the 18th century, but did not spread to Ireland until the 20th century. Irish soldiers serving in the English military held the first St. Patrick's Day parade on March 17, 1762 in New York. Over the next 35 years, English patriotism among American immigrants flourished, prompting the rise of so-called Irish aid societies like the Friendly Sons of St. Patrick, and the Hibernian Society. Each group would hold annual parades featuring bagpipes and drums. In 1848, several New York Irish aid societies decided to unite their parades and form one official New York City St. Patrick's Day Parade. Today, that parade is the world's oldest civilian parade and the largest in the United States with over 150,000 participants. Each year, nearly 3 million people watch the procession, which takes more than five and a half hours. <laughs> wow. Nowadays, people of all backgrounds celebrate St. Patrick's Day, especially throughout the United States, Canada, and Australia. Although North America is home to the largest productions, St. Patrick's Day is celebrated around the world in locations far from Ireland, including Japan, Singapore, and even Russia. In Ireland, St. Patrick's Day has traditionally been a spiritual and religious occasion. Christians attend church services, and the Lenten restrictions on eating and drinking alcohol are lifted for the day. Perhaps because of this, drinking alcohol, particularly Irish whiskey, beer, or cider, has become an integral part of 
the celebrations. In fact, up until the 1970s, Irish law mandated that the pubs be closed on March 17th. Well, beginning in 1995, however, the Irish government began a national campaign to use interest in St. Patrick's Day to drive tourism and showcase Ireland and Irish culture to the rest of the world. The St. Patrick's Day custom of, quote, drowning the shamrock (laughs) or, quote, wetting the shamrock. (laughs) I'm not going to say anything else on that. It was historically popular. At the end of the celebrations, especially in Ireland, a shamrock is put into the bottom of a cup, which is then filled with whiskey or beer or cider. It is then drunk as a toast to uh, St. Patrick or to Ireland or to uh, anybody in the pub. (laughs) The shamrock would either be swallowed with a drink or taken out and tossed over the shoulder for good luck. So that's the background on St. Patrick and the celebrations around his day. But there are a lot of other questions that need to be answered. Shamrocks, uh, leprechauns, the color green. And luckily for you, I still have minutes to fill. (laughs) Let's start with the shamrock versus four-leaf clover controversy. Now, I'm, I'm not really sure it's a controversy, but I like it when this podcast has a controversy, so I'm calling it one. <laughs> Which is the lucky one? What's the difference between the two? Well, to fully confuse things, here it is. All shamrocks are clovers, but not all clovers are shamrocks. See, we cleared that up. No? All right. Clover is the common name for plants of the genus trifolium, and that comes from the Latin trace meaning three and folium meaning leaf. Therefore, clovers typically have three leaves. However, shamrocks always have three leaves, while clovers can have that magical fourth leaf. Now, a shamrock is a thing that you usually see taped up in classrooms or the fast food counter decorating things. It's a typical clover with three leaves and green because shamrocks are green. But some clovers can also be purple or white. What? Another difference between clovers and shamrocks is that the four-leaf clovers are said to ward off evil spirits. Additionally, the clover's four leaves represent luck, faith, hope, and love. On the other hand, the shamrocks are known as a symbol of the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The plants called shamrocks aren't necessarily associated with a specific species name. The word shamrock stems from the Irish shamrog, which means little or young clover. All right, let's sum up the controversy this way. If you see a green three-leafed little plant leaf, well, it's definitely a shamrock and a clover. If you see one of these green leafy things with four leaves, then it's a clover and it's definitely not a shamrock. (laughs) By the way, your odds of finding a four-leaf clover are about one in 10,000. Let's take a quick break here. And when we come back, there is even more information about St. Patrick's Day and leprechauns and all that kind of good stuff. Don't go away. Tis luck to catch a leprechaun, but of course, <laughs> nobody can. Now, if those laddies ever did catch me, they'd catch me Lucky Charms, a new old cereal with a charming difference. Marshmallow bits in lucky shapes, yellow moons, green four-leaf clovers, orange stars, pink hearts. See him? Mixed right in with the cereal. <laughs> Nobody can catch a leprechaun, but you can catch Lucky Charms at your neighborly store. It's a charming cereal. Simply charming. Catch a pack of Lucky Charms. Charming. A Big G General Mills cereal. 
my favorite part is now you can get Lucky Charms without the oats. <laughs> it's just a box of pink moons and yellow stars and four-leaf clovers. <laughs> Sorry, kids. <laughs> Here's a bowl of sugar for you. All right, let's get back into it. On uh, St. Patrick's Day, it's customary, you know, to wear a green shamrocks or green clothing or green accessories or something green or else you get pinched. Yeah, we're going to have more on that pinching thing in a minute. <laughs> Ireland wasn't uh, always associated with the color green. You know, it's all it's known as the Emerald Isle. Okay, I get it. But it was actually once aligned with the color blue instead. What? When Henry VIII claimed himself to be the king of Ireland in the 1500s, his flag was blue, meaning that Ireland was also associated with the color blue. However, green was later used as the color of the flag of the Irish Catholic Confederation in the Great Irish Rebellion of 1641, when the Irish fought against the English. Over the years, green became the national symbol of pride for Ireland. Wearing green clothes, you know, that became common in the United States at St. Patrick's Day parades and celebrations as far back as the 1800s. It was a symbol that Irish Americans used to honor their heritage, and it seems to uh, stuck <laughs> through all these years. Hell, I'm wearing green right now as I record this. <laughs> okay, it's completely coincidental, but I'm wearing green. <laughs> and the last bit of uh, St. Patrick's Day iconery is the, uh, the leprechaun. <laughs> what do they have to do with St. Patrick's Day? Well, leprechauns are associated with St. Patrick's Day because, well, they both trace their history to Ireland. Duh. <laughs> There's no direct connection, though, between St. Patrick's and leprechauns, apart from the fact they're both symbols of Ireland. The original Irish name for these uh, little uh, green-suited wearing <laughs> figures of folklore is Loberkin, which means small-bodied fellow. <laughs> belief in leprechauns probably stems from the Celtic belief in fairies. You know, those little uh, men and women who could use their magical powers to serve good or evil? <laughs> well, though only minor figures in Celtic folklore, leprechauns were known for their trickery, which they often used to protect their much-fabled treasure, that pot of gold. Yeah, more on that in a minute. Leprechauns are actually another reason you're supposed to uh, wear green on St. Patrick's Day uh, or risk getting pinched. The tradition is tied to the folklore that says wearing green makes you invisible to leprechauns who like to pinch anybody they can see. <laughs> Little bastards. People then began pinching those who didn't wear green as a reminder that leprechauns would sneak up and pinch the uh, green abstainers. <laughs> You're getting to get pinched either way. God. According to Irish folklore, leprechauns were uh, cranky tricksters who you wouldn't want to mess with. They live alone and they pass the time by mending the shoes of Irish fairies. No wonder they're cranky. According to the legend, the fairies would pay the leprechauns for their work with gold coins, which were then deposited into large pots, or as you know it, the famous pots of gold. It's all making sense, isn't it? The legend says that if you catch a leprechaun, you can force him to tell you where he hid his pot of gold. Supposedly, this pot of gold is hidden at the end of a rainbow. So a leprechaun would tell you it's at the end of a rainbow, but because you can never find the end of a rainbow, you can't get the pot of gold. <laughs> the cheerful, friendly little elf most Americans associate with St. Patty's Day, however, 
stems from the 1959 Walt Disney film called Darby O'Gill and the Little People. The Americanized, good-natured leprechaun soon became a symbol of St. Patrick's Day in Ireland in general. The leprechauns have their own holiday. It's actually on May 13th, but are obviously also celebrated on St. Patrick's Day with a lot of people, grown-ups, mind you, dressing up as their little green fairies. <laughs> so there. We talked about clover. We talked about leprechaun. We talked. Hey, do you want a, a couple more facts about St. Patrick's Day? <laughs> of course you do. <laughs> we'll start with this one. When you're out and about on March 17th, you'll most likely hear people shouting "Aaron go bra." What they're really saying is the word "Aaron" is of Gaelic origins, and it's an Irish word for Ireland. And the second part of the phrase is "go bra" or "go brock." which means till the end of time. So Ireland till the end of time, or the shorter version, Ireland forever. Erin Gobrach. There are 34.7 million U.S. residents with Irish ancestry. This number is more than seven times the population of Ireland itself. Beer is one of the most widely consumed beverages on St. Patrick's Day, and Guinness is the most popular of those beverages. McDonald's came up with the Shamrock Shake in 1970. The world's shortest St. Patrick Day parade is held in an Irish village of Dripsy. It lasts only 100 yards between the village's two pubs. <laughs> now that's the way to celebrate. <laughs> Start in one pub, have a parade to the next one. <laughs> I'm all for that one. And speaking of pubs, there may be a possibility that you find yourself in a pub or a bar or a party on March 17th. And more, more than likely, the people around you are going to be in a, a jovial mood. Here's your opportunity to enhance your presence at that party. Tell some St. Patrick Day jokes. <laughs> What's that you say? You don't know any? Well, fear not. I did some more research to help you out. Cue the music. What do you call a leprechaun who collects used cans, newspapers, and plastic bottles? A wee cycler. <laughs> what did the leprechaun say when the video game ended? Game Clover. <laughs> it even had an accent, didn't it? <laughs> What do you call a person who robs you on St. Patrick's Day? It's a leprechaun. <laughs> who catches leprechauns? The under-clover cops. <laughs> oh, come on, you're laughing. <laughs> what do you call a fake Irish diamond? It's a shamrock. <laughs> All right, that was, that was kind of weak. When is an Irish potato not an Irish potato? Well, when it's a French fry. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to give you a couple seconds to come up with a punchline on this because I know you guys are all quick-witted. Why don't you iron four-leaf clovers? Yeah, did you get it? Because you don't want to press your luck. <laughs> what happens when a leprechaun falls into the Irish Sea? Well, he, he gets wet. <laughs> Why do people wear shamrocks on St. Patrick's Day? Because real rocks are just too heavy. <laughs> Why does St. Patrick drive all the snakes out of Ireland? Well, it was just too far to walk. <laughs> uh, how old are leprechauns? Well, they're so old they can remember when rainbows were black and white. <laughs> and lastly, what's Irish and sits outside all day? It's Patty O'Furniture. <laughs> There you have it, St. Patrick's Day, all wrapped up in 20 minutes, give or take a few. You must have learned something in this episode, but let's recap. Uh, we learned that St. Patrick is credited with driving the non-existent snakes out of Ireland. 
We learned that all shamrocks are clovers, but not all clovers are shamrocks. And we learned that, remember, if you wear green, the leprechauns can't see you and won't be able to pinch you. And if you do get pinched, well, then that's either flirting or a sexual harassment lawsuit. Your choice. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to uh, this episode, number 112. And I will talk to you next time on 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye. <laughs>